Father God, by your grace and design and your love and your mercy, you've sent your spirit into this room. It's clear. Father, I thank you for the privilege you've given to us to come into your presence, to sing your praises, to lift our eyes upon your Son, Jesus, as our Lord and as our Savior. God, what joy fills our hearts to be able to come together into this place as your church, your family, the ones that you have set an eternal love upon. And if we ever doubt that, we look to Christ's cross and we know, oh, how we are loved by our King. So Father, because we're Yours and because You love us, we ask that You would send the Spirit into this room now to be teacher for us, to teach us. That You'd open up our ears so that we could hear from Jesus this morning. So we could understand what this great commandment is all about. That we could have the benefits of a a new heart and a new spirit all for Your glory. Father, would You please come in a way that, that shines Your Spirit, that new spirit into our minds, into the dark corners, into the parts that are there and unbelieving. God, give us faith to believe and help our unbelief. Father, would You come in a way that it's so loving as Abba Father, and would You wrap your, Your hands around our hearts, and if there are hearts here today that don't know You, would You give them a gift of a, a new heart as Ezekiel promised? And for those of us whom You've already given this amazing new heart to, would You wrap Your loving hands around them? Would You cause them to beat for You? Would You crush our unbelief? Would You crush our sin, and would you comfort us that are broken in despair? Only you could do that. And Father, we ask that you would come with such power through your word and and you would be here so tangibly through the Lord's Supper that we would walk out of here with newness of life, that we would walk out of here obedient to the gospel and walk in a manner worthy of your children. All for Your glory we pray. God, the things that I say that are wrong or just my opinion, may they fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are empowered by Your Spirit, true to Your Word, would You use those things to make us more like Jesus. We pray this all for His glory. Amen. A father of a corporal, a Marine Lance corporal, named Matthew Snyder, a 20-year-old who lost his life in Iraq in 2006, recently lost a lawsuit. What he did is he sued a a church, or that's using the, the term church very loosely, Westboro Baptist Church, and their members who've decided to go and to picket the funerals of our dead soldiers. And they do so with placards and signs of hatred that say, thank you God for the death of soldiers. And they want to communicate a message of hate that says that this is the cause of sins like homosexuality and abortion in our country. Those are sins, but they're trying to be like those friends were to Job and try to say, this is why this is happening. And this father couldn't grieve the loss of his son. Without this church showing up 
and exercising their freedom of speech. And so he sued the church. He said, don't I have the right as a dad to grieve the loss of my son who gave his life for this country without their freedom of speech to break my heart? It went all the way to the highest court. It went all the way to the Supreme Court of our country and in a ruling, a judgment of eight to one. Freedom of speech won. And that father's lawsuit was defeated. We have to admit that we are a people who cherish and love our rights. We do. We love them. We're Americans. What Americans do is we cherish our rights. We cherish our freedom. Many of them are celebrated even today that we could gather and worship our great God without fear. We have the right to assemble. We have the right to proclaim the name of Jesus. We don't have to worry about a government coming and shutting us down here today. Isn't that a great right we can celebrate? But boy, do we cherish our rights and our freedoms. Even the right of speech, when speech is hateful and harmful. The right to bear arms, even when arms take thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of life. We have that right to bear arms. We have the right of speech. We have been told that we have this inalienable right. We can't be separated from this right. As Americans, we have a right that can't be separated from the pursuit of life, of liberty, and of happiness, and of pursuing life, liberty, and happiness the way you and I define it. We have that right. Nothing can separate us from that. Aren't we a people who love that? We seem to be a people We seem to be a country who it could be said of that we love our rights with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our minds, with all of our strength. We love our rights much more than our neighbors' rights. But there's a problem. You see, loving the Lord God with all of our soul, as we've looked at this great commandment uh, for the second week, last week we looked at loving the Lord our God with all of our hearts. But loving the Lord with all of our souls is antithetical for fighting for our own rights. It's in complete opposition. My right of liberty, life, and the pursuit of happiness is I see fit is antithetical to loving the Lord our God with all of our soul. They're complete opposition. So what do we do? What is loving the Lord your God with all your soul really saying? You ready for this? It's very simple. I'm going to say it several times, so you make sure you get it the first time. I'll keep saying it. It is basically loving the Lord our God with all of our soul is saying, Thy will be done. God, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the sovereign being of this universe. You have created me for your own glory. I am here to do your bidding for your pleasure. In my life, it's not fighting for our rights. It's fighting and living for your will. Thy will be done. It's amazing. Even in high school, a popular song when I was in high school is that you got to fight for your right to party. I mean, that's where we are, folks. All right. Uh, a, a song that we're going to sing is that we got to fight for our rights, our rights of speech, our right to bear. No, no, we got to fight for our right to party. Because what it's really saying is this. 
we got to fight for our right to be happy. We got a right to fight for our to live life as way we want to live it, the way we deem happiness is all about. And Jesus comes and says, "Listen, this whole Bible is summed up in this great commandment. This whole thing hinges on this, and really, love is all about not fighting for your rights. If you really want to be at the heart of God, is saying, "Thy will be done." It's a costly love." You know, we, we oftentimes want to talk about, uh, you know, the amazing grace of God. It's just so amazing grace. You know, all, all you got to do is believe and everything is just hunky-dory. And let me tell you, it is amazing grace. And it's deeper and more amazing than we could even articulate. But we can never miss the fact that God's love is a costly love, is it not? I mean, we read about Ezekiel, and Ezekiel has a promise for us that are his children. He says that God is going to give us a new heart. That God is going to give us a new spirit. How does God do that for sinners like us? He sends His only begotten Son. God becomes man. He walks among us. And He has such a heart for sinners that He gives us His heart. He dies for us to have a new heart. It's costly to God, first and foremost. For Him to give us a new spirit, what did it cost Him? It cost Him hanging on the cross, the Holy One. Listen, look at the spotless Lamb of God, the only one who was ever innocent. He hangs there for you. He hangs there for me. He becomes your sin. And He says, into your spirit, into your hands I commit my spirit, O Father. I give up my will. I give up my spirit even unto death so I can give you a new one. See, this is costly love. It cost God an infinite cost of His own Son. But it's costly for us as well. Costly loving God with all our hearts requires the relinquishment of our hearts as ownership. Remember, we talked about that last week. Loving God with all of our hearts doesn't mean, hey, let's make a little bit more room for Jesus. Let's clear out a little junk and let's let Jesus come and have a little bit more. No, 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 no. Loving God with all of our hearts is the biblical understanding that God owns our hearts. He's given us a new one. That really it's giving him the deed and saying, your will be done with my hearts. It's costly. Not only that, costly love requires all of our souls. It's relinquishing the ownership of our wills. If last week was loving the Lord your God with all your heart, and that's the ownership of your heart. This one is loving the Lord your God with all your will. And this is the relinquishing of your will to God. It's basically saying, thy will be done. It says, God, I want to love you beyond the point that our rights and your will collide. Where is that point with you? Listen, it's basically saying this. If to say, God, I want to love you with all my soul, it's loving God beyond the point where my rights, my rights, the way I see them for life, liberty, and happiness, where they collide with His will, and it's really saying, God, at that point, at that point of collision, where you're asking me to do or be something that my rights might not want to give up, I'm going to love you. And I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to bow to you. It'll cost you convenience. Let me tell you right now, this is a costly love. It'll cost you convenience to love God this way. But don't forget, Jesus left heaven. He left 
his father's side, the convenience of the angels and, and the heavenly realms and everything being in order. He left it for the convenience of coming and rescuing us. Loving God with all of our souls and loving Him with our wills. It will be inconvenient sometimes. Let me make sure that we all know that. It will cost some of our resources. If we say, Thy will be done, it's going to hurt. Did it cost Jesus any of His resources? He said because he loved us so much and he wanted to come and rescue us. And listen, not just rescue us and not just clean us, and that'd be pretty amazing, and not just give us new life, and that was unbelievable. But Jesus says, I've come to share the Father's wealth. I've come to give you everything that I deserve as the only begotten Son. I've come to give you everything I deserve as the only obedient Son. I'm going to have you, my children, reign and rule with me. I'm going to give you riches that you can't fathom, that go beyond just a relationship with me, and that should be riches enough. I'm I'm going to give you all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms, children. Do you believe it? Jesus says, I'm going to give all of them to you. How does he do it? He who was rich becomes poor, and that poverty includes a naked cross. So that those who are poor in their sin and their depravity and their their brokenness can be in Christ Jesus rich. Oh, loving God with all of our, our wills. When Jesus said, thy will be done, let us never forget how inconvenient it was. Let us never forget how costly it really was. First and foremost to him. It may cost you your reputation. Thy will be done. You know, uh, I don't know how religious people have missed this, but do you know that they said that Jesus came as a friend to sinners? Isn't that good news? Anybody here uh, who is not perfect, anybody here who's fallen short of perfection, there's good news that Jesus came, and he came with a title, friend, lover of sinners. And because he's a friend of the sinners, you know what? He hung out with the wrong people. He hung out with the wrong crowd. I mean, he, he, he stained his reputation hanging out with prostitutes. I mean, they looked at Jesus, and you know what they called him? He said, he's a drunk. Man, that guy can't go to a party and not drink. He can't go somewhere and not feast. He's a glutton. Don't you love that about Jesus? He's not a prissy. I'm not, I'm not I gotta be holy. I'm a friend of sinners. I'm gonna mix it up with a riffraff because those are the ones I've come to seek and save the lost. Those are the ones I've come to befriend. And I think somehow in, in religion, somehow in, in our circles, sometimes we've lost the monarch. Are, are, we, are we considered a friend of sinners here? Is, is this, I hope it is a safe place. I, I hope it's a safe place. And I, and I hope that we're willing to say, thy will be done, even at the expense of our reputation. You know, you know maybe there's someone in your neighborhood that needs to be loved that no one else will love. Maybe there's someone in your office that, that no one else likes that God's calling you to show the love of Christ to. Maybe he's calling you to walk across a barrier that somebody put up to say, I'm going to do God's will at the expense of even my reputation. That's what Jesus did. Let me ask you, what is the point that you stop loving God with all of your soul? Where is it right now? Where's that point in your life? And now, if the definition is, is that really we're loving it with all our soul, is thy will be done, what is that point where your rights are more important 
than his will. I trust the Holy Spirit will be working in your heart through this message and through this week to, to answer that question. I mean, what is the point in your life where your rights that you think that you deserve for that right job or you think you deserve for that right neighborhood or you think you deserve for that health or for the health of your child or your spouse or you think you deserve for college entry or where you think that you have earned or you deserve something. That thing where God's will seems to be absolutely in opposition for your dream. Maybe it's an American dream. Maybe it's just something dream you have. Maybe it's not even a bad dream. But but where are you right now having a real wrestle with what God's doing in your life and what he's allowing into your life and what he's not giving you into your life? And how are you handling that response? I think he tells us what we need to do. Loving God with all of our souls require require two things. I want to follow along your bulletin. Living in submission to King Jesus. First thing is this. We need to live our lives in submission to Jesus as King. And this means a couple things. One is this. Doing all things in passive obedience to God's will. What in the world does that mean? It sounds uh, a theological term. It is. um, But it's basically this. Doing all things in passive obedience to Jesus' will, saying that I'm going to sacrifice my rights for His will. It's living our lives basically with this prayer on our lips. It's the Lord's Prayer. It's a prayer saying, Thy will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. This obedience to God is saying, God, what you're bringing to my life, Thy will be done. Not my will, not my name, not my reputation, not my dream, but yours. Let's get to the core here. This is, this is where it starts getting tough for us, right? Because we are people who love our rights. People who love their rights submitting to authority is an issue. It really is. And one of the amazing privileges I have being a pastor of a church with a school that's amazing and a preschool that's amazing is seeing how you fight for your rights. And submitting to an authority is, is really, it's really an issue in our lives, is it not? We hate it. We tend to submit to authority when it's convenient. When it's convenient. Okay, let's do something very easy that we all can relate to. It's, I, I was driving here today, and there was a cop on Wymore uh, set off to the side, okay? And uh, he's just waiting for me coming down Wymore. And, I, oh, man, I'm thinking, I don't even have my wallet with me. And it's not that I care about my wallet, but I got a badge in there that says I'm a chaplain, all right? So I'm going to try to use that puppy. <laughs> I have a tendency to have a, a foot with a little bit of lead in it on my best day. But it's a lot easier for me to obey the speed limit when I'm in no hurry. It's a lot easier for me when I've given myself plenty of time to get to that meeting because if I show up late, it's going to be a bad reflection on me and people may not think very highly of me. And I I might lose something in my reputation. So it's not convenient for me. I will speed like Mario Andretti. If it's only convenient, we tend to submit to authority when we agree with it. How many times have you done something that is clearly wrong because you say, well, it's a stupid rule? If you have teenagers, how many times? Oh, it's dumb. You know, it's really authority. It's, it's, it's stupid. I mean, why, why obey it? Dumb. It's a dumb rule. If there's a rule out there, if God says something, what's up with that? It doesn't make sense anymore. It's archaic. It's dumb. We have a tendency, do we not, to submit to authority when it's convenient and when we agree with it. 
But loving God with all of our souls is submitting to Jesus as king over all things. Even when it hurts. Even when we don't know the outcome or can't see why he's doing it. Let me say a couple things here. God's will will never contradict God's word. Did you hear what I said? God's will will never contradict God's word. It's amazing how we could live under God's authority and basically come to a position in our lives where God's will and our rights collide. And here's the conclusion we make. Well, I know that God says there should be purity in marriage. And I know that really he says that this great gift of sex should be something that is in the marriage bond to be utilized. But, But God knows he brought this person to me. God knows how attracted I am to him or her. I mean, God, God, God must, God has given me this gift. I just got to tell you, God has given me this gift and I'm enjoying it. You know how many times I've heard that? So, so God's just going to all of a sudden stop being serious about his word and holy and the things that he says and, and kind of say, well, you know, for your personal happiness, for, for your pursuit of your life, oh yeah, that's fine. Let me tell you, that God's not going to contradict himself. He's, that's, that's, that's who he is. He can't. He's God, right? So when he says some things in our lives that what we need to do and what we need to don't do, it doesn't matter about your situation. It doesn't. Your situation doesn't change the reality of truth and who God is and what he asks us to do as his children. It doesn't. So even when it's not convenient and even when you don't agree and even when it hurts, God is God and we need to submit as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. How do you like that? Are you bristling right now? He's saying, Jeff, take your foot off the accelerator. I think I get it. I'm telling you, we stink in authority. We really do. We don't like it. Even God's authority. How is it with you? Life is found, do you believe it? Life is found, according to the Bible, to dying to your rights and living in submission as Jesus is king. According to God, life is found dying to your rights and finding life and submitting to Jesus. Now, most of us live our lives with basically like a sliding scale, saying, I could believe Jesus for this kind of stuff, and I can, I can honor him here, and I can submit to him here. But over here, this is some stuff that he just can't get to. Because really, for me to be who I am and to like life the way I like, i got to do this stuff. He's got to understand. And listen, somehow we've convinced ourselves that holding on to our rights will really give us life. God bless you. Instead of saying, God, I'm giving up my rights. Because Jesus, you gave up all of yours so that I could be yours. Orangewood, the story is this. When we say, thy will be done, when we say, may I live for your glory, we will never find more life. He's not holding something back. Do you really believe that all you can be, that life is fully found in the face of Jesus? And until you do, You can't live your life saying, thy will be done. It's hard. It's trusting God that he has in mind the highest good, no matter what comes. It's accepting your circumstances and asking God to teach you and honor him with what he's put into your life. Listen to this. What is coming into your life 
If God is sovereign, which means if God is control of all things, whatever comes into your life, if God is who He says He is, it's coming into your life through nail-pierced hands. And a lot of times I don't understand it. I'm just telling you flat out, a lot of times I don't understand it. It's not my job too. I mean, our, our spouses get cancer. Our kids go astray. You know, there's babies who die. There's, there's, there's folks who, who are really hurting and really broken. And there's just times, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not here to give you easy answers. I mean, there's, there's, there's times I just don't get it. But the reality is, is what's coming into your life either passed through his hands or he's not God, right? Right? And we've got to somehow reconcile this and realize no matter what is happening in your life, Jesus is there. And he says, I'm never going to give you more than you can handle. And I've had in my life right up to the brim saying, God, you way overestimate me. I mean, are you kidding me? I, I, no way can I handle this. And there's times I've just said, you've got to change this. I mean, you've got to fix this. You've got to work at this. It seems so obvious, God, for you to do this. And he says, no, not now. Not my way. I got another plan. Do we really trust him? Accepting things in our lives, are they really from God? Accepting things not with passive resignation. This is not accepting life saying, say la vie, such is life. It's not saying, que sera, sera. You know, what will be, will be. It's not accepting things with passive resignation. Oh, whatever. Listen, it's accepting things with passive resolution. God, you're in this. I can't see it now. But you can't be God and not being in this. And I resolve to honor you through this. You know what it all boils down to? Trust. Trust. Do you trust that God won't give you more than you can handle? Do you trust he'll never leave you nor forsake you? Do you trust that your rights aren't greater than his will? See, Jesus submitted to his Father's will. Jesus' passive obedience to the Father was on the cross. He absorbed all of God's wrath, but he knew how hard it would be. I mean, he sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, God, take this cup from me. Take this away from me. I don't want to do this. This is, this is, this is horrible. This is horrific. He's sweating blood, but what does he say in the midst of it? He knows he's going to be about to become your sin. He knows he's going to be stripped naked. He knows he's going to be nailed to a cross. He knows... And he just says, God, is there another way to rescue him? He says, but, but your will be done. Isn't it great that we have a Savior that knows our battle? Isn't it great to know that in the midst of agony, sweating blood, he knows what it's like to have his rights come right crashing into God's will? Isn't it wonderful that he's there bleeding and through prayer in the garden saying, God, please, please. It's not saying passively, okay, God, your will be done. Bring it on. Got to get that cross thing done. It's, it's passive resolution saying, I will accept what you give me from your hand is best. There is not a greater picture of thy will be done than this. This is it. Broken bread and poured out wine. I will do your will at the cost of my life. And now he's asking us to be broken bread and poured out wine. As a reminder of what Christ has done. Not only living 
in submission to Jesus as king, submitting to him in all things, receiving from his hand, but also living on mission for Jesus as king, doing all things in active obedience to God's will. This is what it means. It means sacrificing your dream, your mission, yourself for something greater of God's mission. It's doing all things not to position yourself for a better retirement, not to give yourself a good name in the community, not to raise the best looking kids or the most athletic, not to do this for yourself or that for yourself. It's to do all things to make Jesus famous. That's why you're here. It's to do all things to let him be known. Where we collide is our happiness versus his glory. And somehow we've bought Satan's lie that his glory does not find our true happiness. But that's our greatest happiness. It's there. You know, it's Jesus who comes fully God in in flesh. And what does he say in John 5? He says something amazing. I mean, this is the one who created everything out of nothing. I mean, this is the second person of the Trinity. This is God Almighty. The one who all things were created by and for and through. It's him. And what does he say in John, the Gospel of John and throughout Scripture? I can do nothing. I can do not one thing outside of my Father's will. I can do nothing. There's nothing in John 5, 19. There's not one thing, John 5, 30, outside of my Father's will. I will do everything for him who sent me. Well, see, the problem with us is this. How do we know God's will? By spending time in God's word. By spending time with the Father in prayer, just like Jesus did. By walking in the Spirit of God. Loving the Lord your God with all of your soul means you're loving the Lord your God with all of your will, which really is doing all things in passive obedience to God. God, I trust you. You brought this into my life. Show me what you wanted to do with this. It's doing all things in active obedience to God's will. God, I'm here to do your will. Uh, Tony Campolo was here uh, a week ago Friday. A man was an amazing he did an amazing job. He spoke to our, our, our Orangewood students and, and anybody else who, who wanted to come. And he told a story. He said that, you know, as he was teaching, um, he, he told a story of, of a boy, a young man, getting excited about what it means that thy will be done. What does it mean to truly surrender your life to Jesus? And what does it really mean to live for him? And he said that this kid had a very promising career. Instead of pursuing a promising career, he decides to give his life serving others in broken areas. And this, this father who sent his son to college was just so upset because he had a plan for his kid. Good education means good job. Good job. Take care of yourself. And all the things that this world can offer you is right within my son's reach. And he was there. He was smart. He had it all going. And he just, he chooses to, to, to walk away from everything, to go serve the least of these, the broken, the bums. And, and the father's brokenhearted because all of his dreams are shattered. And he comes into Tony's office and says, it's your problem. You did this. You had my son read all those red letters in the Bible. You convinced him that Jesus really cares about the least of these. You convinced him that when you go and you serve, there's something sacramental. When you serve the broken, Jesus is there. You've convinced him. And oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm a Christian. But to a point. But to a point. That point is where your rights and God's will 
collapse. And until we can say, God, push me through, give me the faith to believe, that will be done. We'll be fighting for our rights and not loving the Lord our God with all of our soul. Where is the point in your life where your rights collide with his will? Ask God to reveal it this week. Maybe he already has. Listen, repent of your rights. Submit to his will. You'll find life and liberty that the world can never offer. Love him with all of your soul. Because he's loved you with all of his soul. Matthew Snyder's dad might have lost his lawsuit to be able to grieve the sacrifice of his son's death because of what the Supreme Court of our country has said, that freedom of speech is more important. But our Heavenly Father in the Supreme Court of His universe will never let us forget the sacrifice of His Son. This is a meal to remember His Son's sacrifice. How His Son gave up His rights to follow His Father's will even to the point of death. It's a meal to celebrate His Son's death. Because through His death, we can truly live and find freedom. But it's more. It's all this, but it's more. It's a meal to strengthen us. To sacrifice our rights to His will. He's going to feed us. He's going to strengthen us. He's done it for us. He's provided it for us. It's a meal to cause us to love our God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our minds, and all of our strength. As I pray, prepare your heart for this meal. Let us pray. Father God, we live in the greatest country in the world with the greatest rights that men have ever enjoyed. And we celebrate one of those rights right now, the right to assemble freely and to worship freely. But Father, the truth is, is we've bought oftentimes more into the American dream more in for our fighting for our rights than submitting to your will. I thank you for our big brother, your only begotten son, the obedient one, who showed us the way, who had passive resolution to obey you. Thy will be done. Father, there's no greater sermon and there's no greater illustration of thy will be done than this meal before us. So God, I pray that you would feed us now through this meal. That you would remind us of the Son's sacrifice on our behalf. So that we could have a new heart. So that we could have a new spirit. So that we could have a new family. So we could have a new identity. So we could know life and life abundantly in Christ. What a sacrifice. But God, not only reveal that sacrifice, but strengthen us for the call you have on our lives to love you with all of our wills, all of our souls, to say thy will be done. Because that's why you created us and that's why Jesus redeemed us. All for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. As the elders come forward and prepare the table, prepare your